Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. What a wonderful starting point for us this morning is to recognize that our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. That in Him we have life, that in Him we have a freedom, a peace that goes beyond all understanding, a joy that is greater than even our circumstances. That in Him we have a hope for eternity, a hope which goes beyond death, beyond this life. more than that, even just for the here and the now, we have a sense of purpose and meaning. It's opportunity to be a part of the building of your kingdom, that in your grace and in your mercy, that you, the God of heaven, you choose to work in and through your people. And so even our lives here and now have been transformed, given a whole new sense of meaning and purpose that whatever we do, that actually there's this greater purpose. But as we're looking at this morning, we have the opportunity to sow into the things of eternity. What a gift that is. What a joy that is. Significance and the purpose that you brought to our life. We praise you, Jesus, for you are our hope. But you're also the hope for the world. And our great desire is to see people find life in the name of Jesus. Our great hope is to see our community transformed, our city transformed. Not from the top down, from the bottom up, as people find life in the name of Jesus. And so we pray, Jesus, as we come before your word this morning, that you would show us a little bit more about what that means, but how it is that you want to use us, and what it is that you're calling us to. This we pray for in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 You can take a seat. Fantastic. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to week two of our series, Look Out. It's my great privilege to pick up where Tim Costello left off last week. So with that in mind, our focus this morning is on Colossians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles here today, and that seems like a good thing to do, considering you're sitting in a church, then I'd encourage you to open up to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at just four verses this morning, verses 2 through to verse Six. So I encourage you to open up in your Bibles there now. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Dead Poets Society. It's a fairly well-known movie, so I'm presuming that most of you have. But for those of you who haven't, I'll give you just a, a little bit of a sneak peek of what it's about. It's a movie from the 90s about an English teacher played by Robin Williams who, and I think this would be fair to say, had some pretty unusual teaching methods. So in his first class with this group of year 11 boys, he takes them to what is almost a hall of remembrance. There's trophy cabinets around the room and then pictures of past students up on the wall. You get the idea. Takes them to this hall of remembrance. He gets them to gather in a bit of a semicircle and then he gets one of them to read out a poem. It's called To the Virgins to Make Much of Time. It's a 17th century poem by a man named Robert Herrick. And I want to read out the part that he reads out. The first stanza of the poem goes like this. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, old time is still a-flying. 
And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow, will be dying. Now, that might have been profound for some of you here this morning, but for a group of year 11 boys, it's a little bit airy-fairy, and so he has to unpack it for them. And he talks to them about the Latin word for that kind of sentiment, which is carpe diem. Any of the Latin scholars in the room this morning would know carpe diem means seize the day. And that mentality is what he's trying to instill into this group of young men. Now, on the one hand, they're only in high school, so they've got their whole lives in front of them. But on the other hand, life is short. You only get to live it once, and the truth is it goes much quicker than we think it will. So Robin Williams says, carpe diem, seize the day. Don't waste the opportunity that you've been given. Don't look back with regret. Seize the day. It's a sentiment that we see reflected in the passage that we're looking at today. I've said this to you guys before, but the Colossian church was a fledgling community of fairly new believers. It wasn't planted by Paul. It was actually planted by a man named Epaphras, who, let's be honest, none of us have ever heard of and nobody really cares about, but he was a great guy. He was just a normal guy who traveled to Ephesus for whatever reason, probably business, encountered Paul while he was there, heard the gospel, responded to it, and then proceeded to share his newfound faith with the people around him when he got back to Colossae. That's how this church was birthed. It's the Lord working through ordinary, everyday people to build his kingdom, and it's a wonderful thing. But here, in chapter 4, Paul is saying, now that you've been welcomed into the kingdom, it's time for you to look up and look out because Jesus isn't finished. Everywhere you go, you're surrounded by people who are lost. People who are walking down the road to destruction and they need to know that Jesus is for them. And he loves them deeply and wants more than anything to lead them into everlasting life. They need to know. 2,000 years later, and let's be honest, not much has changed. We all have people in our lives that we love deeply who are lost. People who are far from God and they need to know. There's a sense of urgency in that. So carpe diem, seize the day. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I need to know. That's what we're looking at this morning. But before we go any further, let's read our passage together. You've already got it in your Bibles. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. This is what it says. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. There it is, carpe diem. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's a challenging passage of scripture. There's a really distinct call within that. And some of you might have read that and thought, gee, that's terrifying. And you might be here and you might think, I'm I'm a believer. I've got people around me who are far from Jesus. And and I do, I, I want them to know. I want them to discover the fullness of life that I've found. But the question is, how? How do I go about this thing? Well, Paul says you can start by getting serious about prayer. And it's worth saying, that's written not as a suggestion. It's an imperative in the Greek, which means it's a command. He's commanding us to pray. And we've got to remember, this is someone who was all in on the advancement of the gospel. He lived and breathed this stuff. And he's saying to you and me, if we want the gospel to be effective in our lives and in our city, then we better be praying. We better get serious about prayer. That we step out for the gospel on a foundation of prayer, done rightly. And that's the source of our power. That's where we wage war against the darkness of our world, which means that it has to be our starting point, our first priority. And so often prayer is looked at as some kind of optional extra. If we get time, and if everything is set up the way that it needs to be, and you know, we've got just a couple of minutes to spare, then well, it's a good thing, we're Christians, so we better stop and pray. But that's not what Paul is talking about. I'd be the first one, in all humility, to say, I've done that. So who am I to stand over anyone? I've done that. The truth is that Paul is calling us to more. That's inescapable in this passage. He's calling us to more. He's calling us to be a group of people who are deeply committed to prayer. I mean, that word devote gives us a sense of an unrelenting persistence in prayer. I love that word. I love that picture. An unrelenting persistence in prayer. Church, I pray that would be us. I pray that we'd be a group of people who'd get on our knees before we do anything else because we understand just how dependent we really are. But as Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing of eternal value. So we pray. Take it seriously. We pray. But then Paul says, as you pray, remember to be thankful. Because there's just something about a heart that's quick to give God the glory for what he's done. That's also quick to ask him to do it again. But there seems to be some kind of feedback loop here. And I remember my first church back in Brisbane, we had a a Tuesday morning prayer meeting at some ridiculous hour. Even just thinking about it, I got flashbacks. There's trauma there, right, about the earliness of the hour that we had to wake up. Because apparently prayer is most effective at like five o'clock in the morning, but it's fine. But every prayer request from every prayer meeting would get written down in a little notebook. And every year there'd be a different notebook. And at the end of that year, we'd pull open that notebook and we'd go back and we'd tick off every prayer that God had answered. And I tell you what, it's one of the more faith-building exercises I have ever done Because almost every prayer in that book had a tick next to it. 
And some of them were a long time coming. Some of those things we prayed for for months. And some of them were answered in unexpected ways. But I left that meeting with a firm belief in the power of prayer. It's worthwhile doing. Because we saw God come through again and again. So we honor the Lord for what he's done. Gives him the glory that is rightfully his and it builds our faith. But then we take up our post, almost in a militaristic sense. Paul says, be watchful. That word is gregoreo and it means awake, vigilant or watchful. It's a word that points us back to the Garden of Gethsemane and the night that Jesus was betrayed. He knows what's coming. He understands the weight of it. So where is Jesus? On his knees. He asked the disciples to stand, watch, and pray. It's that word, Gregoreo. And yet every time Jesus goes off to pray, they fall asleep. And I put to you, if they had have known the significance of that night... If they'd understood what was at stake, they never would have allowed that to happen. This isn't just any other night. This is one of the most important and significant nights in all of history. They never would have allowed that to happen. Here Paul was saying, don't be naive. The stakes are so high. We're talking about the eternal reality of the people around us. Don't be lulled into apathy. Be vigilant and watchful and unrelenting in prayer. Those stakes are just too high to fall asleep. To take up your post and pray. What are we praying for? It's a great question. Well, the answer is, in short, everything. Because God has his hand on all of this. Paul says, pray for me that I may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And then a little further down, that I may proclaim it clearly. It's about accessibility as well as clarity, by the way. That it would be appropriate for the person standing in front of me. But let's be real for a second. Paul is more qualified to preach the gospel than you and I ever will be. Ever. The guy wrote like half of the New Testament. That's the level of calling and anointing on his life. This is someone who planted dozens of churches, someone who led countless people to the Lord, and yet here he is saying, pray for me. I can't do this unless the Lord goes before me, so pray for me. I'm going to go out on a limb and say if Paul needed the prayer covering of God's people to preach the gospel as he should, then you and I are probably going to need it as well. Probably. It's a level of dependence that we just can't afford to miss. And it's also a great reminder of how much we need each other. Paul needed this church. He needed their prayers. We're not meant to do this on our own. Truth is, we can't. We need each other, but we need the Spirit to go before us as well. You can't open a door for the gospel. That's not our role. 
You try to force that thing open and you'll only make it worse. God is the one who opens that door, which means our only option is to pray. It's all we're left with. I can't open the door, so all I am left to do is to get on my knees and to pray that God would. That's why we get to John chapter 16 and Jesus says this. When the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. It doesn't say that you do. You, no, it says he, the Spirit, convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's just something that you and I can't do. He opens the door. All I do is step through it. And even in that, I need help. John chapter 14, Jesus says this, The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. I'm going to be clinging to that if I'm stepping through a door. And then just a little bit further down, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he bears witness to me. Church, that's our hope. You might be sitting there feeling completely inadequate, probably rightfully so. But you're not stepping out in your own power. You're stepping out in the power of the Spirit. And he's more than capable of making up for what you lack. Does that mean that every time we take a step of faith, it ends in revival? The answer is no. Paul is writing this from prison. So I think it's fairly safe to say not everyone is open to the gospel. But that's why we pray. That's why we're vigilant and watchful. We just don't want to miss an open door. We don't want to miss it. You know, as I was prepping for this, I got a message from one of our young adults on Facebook, and obviously the Lord wanted me to see it because he messaged me right as I happened to be posting something up in our young adults group. I actually saw the notification pop up, and I didn't ignore it, which is almost a miracle in itself, and I'm glad I didn't as well. He said, hey, Dan, I just had the most random encounter with this guy on the bus who's sitting across the aisle from me, and then he asked me if I had a portable charger because his phone was flat, obviously. And I did. So I went and I sat with him and I let him use the charger. And then I started to chat to him. It turns out that it was his first day out of prison, even though he looked like he was about the same age as me. And he told me a little bit about his plans for the future. And I offered to give him a lift because he wasn't quite sure of how he was going to get to where he was supposed to be going. He said he was fine. But then I asked him if I could pray for him. And he said yes. So I prayed that God would guide him and be with him. And then I told him that if he's ever around the place, that he could look for me because I'd love to chat to him again. Not sure why I'm telling you this, but anyway, thanks for listening. That last part, by the way, he really did say. That's a direct quote from him. I wasn't even listening, but that's fine. Can I tell you, man, I'm glad he messaged me. That made my day. Here I am prepping for Colossians chapter 4. Paul tells us to make the most of every opportunity. And now I get to say, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I don't know what's going to happen to that guy. Maybe he never sees him again. I don't know. But this young adult took a step of faith. He he saw an open door and he went for it. I think Paul would have loved it. Would have loved it. Make the most of every opportunity. That's what Paul says. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And just so we're 100% clear, you're not just talking to the missionaries in the room or any of the full-time ministry workers in here this morning. He's saying that to all of us. He's saying that to you. He's calling you to make the most of every opportunity. I love how John Piper puts it. He says, these verses answer the question of how believers are supposed to relate to the unbelievers in their life. Paul has in view accomplishing as much spiritual good as we can in those relationships. That's, why he, that's what he means in verse 5 when he says, make the most, or the actual Greek, buy up every opportunity. Just as an aside, that's what that word literally means. It means to redeem. So Paul is calling us to redeem or to buy up every opportunity. Which is why Piper goes on to say, life is a series of never-to-be-repeated opportunities. Whether on course or on a detour, every hour of your life brings situations that can be bought up for eternity or missed. And now about you, but I read that and I feel the weight of it. The Lord in his grace and mercy chooses to include me in the building of his kingdom. He calls me to buy up every opportunity for the eternal good of those around me. That's not a small thing. There's a sense of responsibility in that, but there's also joy because it brings incredible meaning and purpose to my life. Every day is an adventure. Every moment, every conversation is meaningful because you just never know when the Lord might open up a door and ask you to step through it. Incredible sense of purpose and meaning. And if the thought of that completely freaks you out, Paul finishes by giving us three guiding principles to help us do it. How do we do this? How do we buy up every opportunity? He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Truth is, the people are watching. And if our lives don't match up with our message, we're in trouble. We don't have a lot to share. It's not about perfection, it's about authenticity. And it matters that you would just authentically love and follow Jesus first. And then you might actually have something to share. The second principle he gives us is graciousness. Don't engage in intellectual battles. You might win an argument, but you're not winning anyone for the kingdom. You're not. You could actually push them further away. So engage compassionately with the people around you. Don't expect an unbeliever to walk in the ways of Jesus. They're not going to. Why would they? Why would somebody who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't trust him, hasn't come to discover his goodness, why would they walk out in obedience? They're not going to. Don't expect it. Engage compassionately. Be authentic and be bold, but always be gracious. Graham says it all the time, but most Australians don't care what you know until they know that you care. And it is very true. And so we lead with love and grace. We're interested in the person, concerned for the person, 
And then lastly, he says, season your words with salt. And I thought Piper was helpful on this. He says, I take this to mean that, that what we say about Christ and about the Christian life should be made as appetizing as possible. When food is not salted, it tastes bland. People don't want to eat it. It's unappetizing. Our speech is, supposed to, is not supposed to be like that. Which is why our greatest testimony ultimately is the joy and the life that we've found in Christ. If it isn't good news to you, why would it be good news to anyone else? And if you're miserable following Jesus, fat chance anyone is going to want to follow with you. So don't turn the good news into average news. First and foremost, you've got to discover the goodness of Jesus and the fullness of life that he has for you. Season your words with salt. It's a challenging passage of scripture. And there's a lot in there, a lot of different things that might challenge us this morning. And if I was to summarize it down into one sentence, I would say, driven by love, devoted to prayer, Put your money where your mouth is and seize the day. Maybe you remember that and maybe you won't. That's fine. But I think that's the call of Colossians chapter 4. That we're investing into the things of eternity. And it brings incredible meaning and purpose to our lives. The church Paul was saying, carpe diem, seize the day. You never know what door the Lord might open or who you might impact for eternity. Because the great truth is he wants to use you. His grace and his mercy chooses to use you to work in and through ordinary, everyday people like you and me. I've shared this story at youth camp before. And pretty much everybody, I think, would know that I walked away from the Lord for a number of years in high school. But one of the guys the Lord used to kind of nudge me back in the right direction was an old friend from school. And... When this story happened, I hadn't spoken to him in ages. It had been at least two years or maybe even more. And then one day he called me up and he invited me to a Planet Shakers concert. And I don't know why, to be honest with you, but I said yes. And he was there with a bunch of other young adults from his church. And it's not like he did anything special. I don't even think he actually sat me down and ever really preached the gospel to me. He just had something that I didn't. And he was sold out for Jesus and he had a joy in a life that I didn't. And it was kind of a reminder of everything that I'd left behind. Crazy thing is, I've never seen him again. Never even spoken to this guy again, ever. He probably has no idea of the impact that he had on me. But that night was a bit of a turning point for me and my journey. And it was kind of from there where the Lord used several kind of things to draw me back. And I'm forever grateful. I don't know what made him reach out to me. I didn't even know he had my number. I mean, the Lord gave him a little bit of a nudge. That's what I'm presuming. And he was obedient. And I'm grateful. So here's how we're going to finish. In just a moment, we're going to enter into a time of communion. I'm going to read out Ephesians chapter 1. Which is not the usual communion passage. But I'm doing that because I want us to be reminded of everything we've been given in Christ. We're going to spend some time meditating on the countless blessings that had been poured out on us. And we're going to thank God for his goodness and his grace. And then we're going to take communion together. And we're going to do that because I think, I truly believe that the more that we understand just how blessed we are, 
the more that we delve into his goodness and his grace, the more we'll want to share it. We'll have this desire for the people around us to experience what we've experienced. And blessed people, thankful people, I think are missional people. I'm desperate for the people that I love to know and to discover what I've discovered. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 1. And then I want you to meditate on it. Just spend some time worshiping the Lord. Remembering the sacrifice that he made. Thanking him for his glory. That will be our fuel to be a missional people. Paul says this, Ephesians chapter one, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It wasn't skimpy. With the grace of God, he lavished it on us. And all of that is true because of the cross. And so right now, I just invite you just to spend a minute or two reflecting on the goodness of God, reflecting on the sacrifice that he made, the price that he paid for all of that to be true for you and for me. Go ahead and do that now. this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.